Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Dan Primack and welcome to Axios Recap where we dig into one big story. Today is Thursday, July 22nd. U.S. home prices are up, lumber output is down because of the Western wildfires, and we're focused on science in space. Space travel was once something that united all Americans in a sense of discovery and wonderment. The accomplishment was shared, even by the vast majority of us who had nothing to do with the actual engineering or risk-taking. But things have changed with the recent suborbital flights headlined by Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. Those flights have become something of a social media Rorschach test. Yeah, sure, there's still plenty of amazement. After all, these are spaceships, not to mention ones that are using technologies way more advanced than the old Apollo or shuttle missions. But there's also been a lot of blowback, including from prominent politicians. It basically boils down to rich guys are spending obscene amounts of money on joyrides while the earth below them literally burns. So today we wanted to approach this from a bit of a different lens with someone who was on one of those flights. More specifically, a scientist who was on one of those flights, Sarisha Bandla, who was alongside Richard Branson on the Virgin Galactic mission. For full transparency, Bandla is not an uninterested observer. She's an executive at Virgin Galactic, but part of her job title there is VP of Research Operations, and her role on the mission was both to test the vehicle's research capabilities and to conduct an actual scientific experiment. In other words, there might be more to space tourism than just tourism. We're joined now by Sarisha Bandla, VP of Government Affairs and Research Operations at Virgin Galactic and a newly minted astronaut. Sarisha, let's start here. I I think at every cocktail party or family function you're going to go to for maybe the rest of your life, you're going to get asked about that flight from a week and a half ago. What's the first thing you're going to tell people? Well, I'll say that every cocktail party bar I've sat at, I've always talked about space before, (laughs) but now I can say I've been in space. You look down at earth and it's, it's more of a feeling as opposed to words that you just want to describe it with. And that's what I love about Virgin Galactic. Our whole mission is to open space for all. So I know that I'm not going to be the only one. Your role on the flight, in part, was to conduct a scientific experiment for the University of Florida, which was funded by NASA. What exactly did you do? So my role was to test the researcher capabilities on on board our vehicle. I took up a Kennedy Space Center fixation tube that housed a plant and a fixative. So my role was to interact with that experiment, and I would basically activate the tube, and the fixative and the plant would mix and the plant would be frozen in that state that it came in contact with the fixative. And the plant itself was modified to make gene expressions in in a certain way that can be imaged later in a lab. So you're looking at how plants are reacting to different environments. And you don't have a lot of opportunities where you can look at plants and how they adapt to transitions of environments. So the 1G environment, the high G environment, and the microgravity environment in the spaceflight. 
You talked about how your role was in part to test the research capabilities of the spacecraft, but there's this perception uh, that Virgin Galactic is this pure space tourism company. People pay money, then they get to go to space, they come down, they get the experience. What is the company's view on the role that science should play in these flights? This is one area I'm really, really excited about. You can't tell already. <laughs> so suborbital vehicles, especially commercial suborbital vehicles, offer quite a lot of opportunities for science and technology development. Not only because you have the opportunity to send a researcher to space with their work, where they can do instantaneous observations, interact with their payload, make adjustments, um, which is completely unheard of and not available today. I think that's going to lead to groundbreaking research and developments later on. But you can send up payloads multiple times because we're going to be hot flying at a very high cadence when we're in commercial operations. So you can send up a payload, uh, a research experiment to space, not maybe not see exactly what you were hoping to see, take that data, take those observations, tweak it, and fly it again in a few weeks or a month. And we actually did that in our first and second space flight where we flew a payload. They didn't get the results that they were hoping for. They tweaked the payload and within two months had it back in space. Sarisha, you obviously know there has been a lot made about exactly how high up your flight went compared to the Blue Origin flight. Is this a distinction that matters or one without a difference? Uh, this distinction doesn't matter. It's really about the experience. Whether you're tourists uh, looking for the views of Earth, you're going to get that same view. And it's going to it's just going to be an amazing perception changing view. And if you're a researcher, you're going to get uh, that time in microgravity regardless. Um, and it's gotten such interest from the research community, you know, from the biology, from physicists, from atmospheric science uh, scientists, because our vehicle is actually going up to a portion of the atmosphere and it's going to be traveling in that portion of the atmosphere that's not readily available to scientists. Um, it's too high for high altitude balloons and too low for satellites. Scientific research has obviously been part of space travel, you know, since NASA started sending astronauts up decades ago. What's the value or, or maybe the added value from your perspective in having private companies now involved? I think sometimes it's missed that a lot of the reasons of why we go to space is to make life better on Earth, whether it's through the research and the science that we're developing and uh, analyzing or the technologies that we develop. And it's it's really hard to make that connection, but that is the reason we go. It's interesting. A lot of the people that I ask, why do you want to go to space? They tell me that it's to look back down on the planet, not to look out. <laughs> We're going up to learn more about our planet and to make life better on Earth for the people on Earth. So much of the media and political narrative over the past couple of weeks has been about billionaire joyrides and why are we spending so much money on this? As somebody on the science side of the equation, how do you view that issue? I think the creativity of having commercial companies provide the service. You've got a lot of people that want to do a lot of different things, and that might not fit into the mission of NASA. And they've got specific missions. They've got the Earth Science Division. They've got their Mars. So if your research does not fit into certain portfolios of the agency, it might not be funded. It might not have uh, a program to fit into. Whereas here, it's an open platform. Commercial companies can use it to develop better products for people on Earth. I, I, one thing I'm excited about is honestly sending up poets and artists and having that sort of communication brought back down and see what the downstream effects are for communicating what is our planet from space and what does it look like. 
which I, I don't think I can do because the only word I've thought about, thought about using is incredible. <laughs> but those are, this is the platform. It's an open platform with commercial companies. Final question for you. You talked earlier about how you always talk about space with people. How do you look at it now? Are, are you still on a high from the flight from a week and a half ago? Or is there some sort of melancholy that you aren't going back anytime soon? I've dreamt about this since I was little and I've wanted to go to space. I was one of those maybe odd kids that was like, this is the way, this is my goal and this is how I'm going to do it. And I planned out my life to get to space and it included, I decided to go uh, become an engineer so I could go to NASA and become an astronaut. And I didn't meet the eyesight requirements. My eyesight got really bad in high school. And around that same time was when I saw Richard Branson announced that he's going to create this company that's going to open space access for all. And I was like, that is the company that is going to take me to space one day. And it, and it is, <laughs> it was. And I, I think now I, I would like to pay it forward. I, this is the reason why I, I joined this company is that you don't have to have a conventional way to get to space. You can literally reach for the stars and you can do it in multiple ways. And we are really, truly opening access for all people who have bad eyesight, just like me, will have the chance to go to space. And I think that is just a very, very incredible narrative to be a part of. Sarisha Bandla, who has been with Virgin Galactic for a while, but who can now say she's been to space. Thank you so much for joining us. Woot woot. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. What we're watching today is the COVID-19 pandemic, which is that thing lots of us really thought would be in the rearview mirror by now. Daily infections are up a whopping 55% over the past week, with 46 of 50 states reporting increases. The most severe surge is in Florida, where new cases are up 91% week over week, which represents nearly 6,500 infections per day. The most important thing to know here is that while some of these are so-called breakthrough cases in fully vaccinated people, this new surge is really being driven by unvaccinated people. Moreover, unvaccinated Americans account for 97% of new hospitalizations and 99% of deaths. And yes, the vaccines do indeed appear to be effective against the Delta variant, which has become America's dominant strain of COVID-19. The bottom line, we're in the midst of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, but it doesn't need to be this way. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Sabina Singhani, Justin Kaufman, and Ben O'Brien. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, do so. Have a great national Mango Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.